Hi, I'm Susan Sunny, a resident crazy cat lady, I have eclectic music taste, and I'm a bleeding heart liberal. You're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm Robin Renee, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. Welcome to episode 133. This season, we're still exploring democracy. We've learned about what it's like to hold a local political office, how activism affects the democratic system across the U.S., how uh, history can inform our understanding of our current situation, democracies around the world, and most recently we talked about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the role of disinformation uh, about future targets from the right, mainly birth control, and Wendy gave a great explanation of the of the reproductive system, which was kind of very good and shocking that we would need such a thing. And <laughs> extemporaneous with no prior research. <laughs> yes, yes. Today, I uh, interview Susan Sunny. Um, she talks about the Ohio midterm election and the challenges of learning to communicate across different political viewpoints. It was a really good conversation. I'm happy to share it with you later. And before that, we're going to have our first real Earthscape segment, and we're going to talk about uh, money magic. So this will be interesting. Yeah. So since our last show, I got a new computer, so that's kind of been sucking up all of my time, <laughs> loading software, watching the little things spin, because, you know, the minute you get a new computer, Windows wants to update like 80,000 things, and and uh, that's been doing that. I've also been prepping for the next show. We had, a, we had our art show, and that was fun, and I sold a painting. Which my first my first acrylic painting I sold. It's a it was a painting of a flower. Okay, and, I was gonna uh, say because I think you might have sold a painting before to me at least. So well, it wasn't an acrylic painting. That's you, true. I sold you yeah. watercolors. I don't know why I don't count those as paintings, but it's because <laughs> you know <laughs> I don't use an easel and it's different. I felt very validated as an artist, and it's also you know somebody that you don't know comes up and likes your stuff and buys something. It's you know yeah. it's all very gratifying to have friends buy your stuff too, <laughs> but you know moving out into the wider world is is exciting for an artist. So yeah, I get was... it. I'm very happy about that too. <laughs> so what was your last fortnight like? It's been okay. It's been all right. I've, I've, uh, I'm not having a great day today, so that's my main thing. I'm just kind uh -huh. of in a shitty mood and just thinking about too many things, and I don't know. <laughs> I will get through the show. It'll be fine, but it's my day started on the wrong foot somehow. Wow, but, well, that uh, sucks. Yeah. But that's okay. I did see. I, I I went to see Smash Palace last night. They were they were good. They're a band that 
was around in the 80s in South Jersey and were signed to like Epic. They might have been signed to another record label first, but they were signed to Epic and they did, you know, pretty well. And it had been a long time. And the original members got together because there's a reissue of the first album. So that was kind of fun. That was, you know. That's cool. So I think maybe I didn't drink a lot, but I might have gotten my chemistry off by <laughs> like some, some way. <laughs> so I don't know. That could be my problem today. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. Yeah. I'm working on it. Um, but I should tell you about The Leftscape. And as always, you can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday. So please do subscribe to the show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you sign up for automatic downloads so you do not miss a show. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. I mean, as long as Twitter's still around, we're going to bring <laughs> that up later. Right. Uh, you, can <laughs> you can check out our show notes on the website, which feature links for you to follow our show guests and to get more info on the topics we discuss. And while you're on our site, please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. Your downloads, likes, follows, and subscriptions really help us grow. Please give us a review whenever you listen. Thank you. Thank you. And on Patreon, supporters can listen to our exclusive segment, We Should Be Recording This. The most recent topic we talked about was relationship flags. Are you getting a green flag, yellow flag, red flag? What are those for us. That was a good one. I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, so yeah. join us at any level, starting at just $1 a month. And if you support us at the $3 Backstage Pass level, you'll get invitations to our periodic hangouts, be they on Zoom, Discord, Facebook Live, or other platforms, as well as the We Should Be Recording This conversations and other special segments. So please do join us. Well, I guess this is sort of a rewind because we didn't explicitly explain how birth control disinformation feeds into democracy, but it's all part of kind of an umbrella of, you know, since Roe v. Wade was struck down by the Supreme Court, that there's a large segment of the population now that basically has fewer rights than others and it plays into democracy because it's is an important issue to a lot of people, as the midterms showed that we'll be talking about when we get to the news. Right. Yeah. And it felt like a, it felt like part of the degradation of democracy to me when that yes. decision happened. And I think that's yes. really how it ties in for me as well. But thank you for that. Absolutely. And um, yeah. I also had a rewind. I was we talked about the passing of DH Poligro, who was the drummer of the Dead Kennedys, and that's definitely was important to me and really, you know, was a shock really because it was so sudden. But I also felt like I should have mentioned the passing of Jerry Lee Lewis as well. The man definitely had an interesting personal life. <laughs> we'll say that. <laughs> but he also really was really one of the progenitors of rock and roll and, had, had, you know, had a lot. He influenced a lot. So I wanted to recognize his passing as well. Yeah. Well, now it's time for our three random facts and the news. And the first random fact is that researchers in 2019 have experimented with how different genres of music affect the taste of maturing cheese. <laughs> I've heard of this. This is real. <laughs> I am not making this up. The study 
carried out by Swiss cheesemaker Beat Wampfler and researchers from Bern University of Arts played a variety of popular music to nine different wheels of a metal, a mental cheese for six months, 24 hours a day. Each wheel of cheese matured to the accompaniment of music. Classical Mozart, Led Zeppelin, Techno's Frill, and hip-hop group A Tribe Called Quest, among others. The music was delivered via mini transmitters that diffused the energy of the music into the cheese. There was also a control cheese that was matured in total silence. <laughs> I just like the whole concept of a control cheese. I'm just <laughs> That's so funny. Go on. There were two blind tastings that happened after the six-month maturation process to determine that the cheeses that had been exposed to music had a milder flavor than those that hadn't, while the cheese exposed to the sounds of hip-hop music had a stronger fruity flavor than the cheese developed alongside classical music, for example. I think they've gone beyond to study if different songs in a particular genre will have a different effect, and they haven't figured out why yet. But I thought this was a really random, weird-ass thing <laughs> that I wanted to share with all of you. Well, I'm in a better mood now just by hearing the cheese experiment. <laughs> I just want to know how high these people were. What they, what they were smoking is more interesting to me than the results of the cheese flavors. Although, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I will give it that. <laughs> My random fact <laughs> that on December 7th, 2004, the O'Reilly Factor first aired a segment on Christmas Under Siege, and in doing so, it appears to have launched the war on Christmas as we know it. So that is the, the start of the modern war on Christmas, which of course is absurd. And if you really look back in history, Henry Ford had complaints about Christmas not being Christian enough and John Birch Society. They so so people have made these comments over time in the past, but yes, it was two thousand four where we got our current ridiculous war on Christmas concept. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> and the final fact for today is another animal fact. A blue whale can make a fart bubble big enough to encompass a horse. So y'all can think about that for a while. <laughs> uh, your animal facts. <laughs> okay. Those are all the facts I can handle. <laughs> How about some news? All right. Here's all the news that we're going to handle today. Okay, this first piece is, uh, well, I mean, I don't want to get us completely depressed because shit in the Middle East and that area is not good today. Afghanistan, the supreme leader in Afghanistan has ordered full implementation of Sharia law. This is, you know, so they're going to start doing the cutting hands off of thieves and shit like that. I think we all knew this was going to happen once we left there and left the Taliban in charge. So I don't know that that's surprising for anybody, but it kind of gives me like a sneak peek as to what would happen here if we let the fundamentalists rule our country. You know, um, another another little 
piece of news in Iran with those protests that have been happening for a couple of months now. They they they've given their first death penalty conviction to some, one of the protesters, and there's quite a few people who are incarcerated right now who could also be facing the death penalty, and they're worrying about you know speedy executions for that and like the human rights groups that are keeping an eye on the Iranian situation. So that's all going on. And that's all I'm going to say about that stuff because it's really bumming me out and I can see it's bumming Robin out already. So as you probably know, Elon Musk bought Twitter <laughs> finally, and it all seems to be spiraling out of control. <laughs> it's very very weird over there <laughs> a yeah. lot of fake accounts i know you've seen some, some oh yes some fake you know things that were funny i've seen some that were l consciously misleading and yeah you know really not funny so it's uh, a whole mixed bag for sure oh yeah well i mean there's the, the one from the fake eli Lilly account tanked their stock price I mean, that's a real-world consequence to a joke. That's right. Because they posted that they were going to, insulin was going to be free. And I guess all of the investors just dumped the stock. And, and that was a, a fake account. That's all because, what was it, Musk for a few days was trying to get people to pay $8 for a blue check mark. Right. So, Which would make the blue check mark useless because it wouldn't yes. signify anything. It, and so then there was going to be a secondary <laughs> validation that would be would mean that you are who you are. So it, it made no sense. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that went out the window. Like that's not gonna work at all. So I yeah. I I all I my favorite out of well, I had two favorite threads that I that were shared on basically screen capped and shared on Facebook because I'm still not an expert user on Twitter. So I'm barely on there. You know, most people, <laughs> a lot of my friends have left Twitter already, but the one was from Tesla, a Tesla account, which may or may not have been real that, but somebody who got a hold of that account was just posting these just crazy things saying they were going to send 10,000 Tesla vehicles to Ukraine because they are really good at exploding. Um, and then there was a, a bunch of threads from Donald Trump, from a fake Donald Trump account where he was apologizing to Biden and saying he was responsible for January 6th and all this other stuff, which I, that one's my favorite. That's pretty funny. There's been a fake Mueller She Wrote account, which <laughs> spells Mueller instead of it's two capital I's instead of the L's, so it looks exactly identical. <laughs> and it's been not, yeah, it's not actually cool because they're really oh. um, spreading, really trying to impersonate someone, you know. And so that account has been, has been trying to, you know, get Elon to notice that, you know, if if we're going to be, I don't know, like he was upset that like someone was impersonating him, but not so much other people so far, you know? Oh, I think, I so. think a third of Twitter was impersonating him for a minute. <laughs> right. Right. I so. mean, there was the one, there was one that the guy had changed the name of his account to Christmas or something. 
and he asked, you know, he said, hey, Elon, can I change the, the my account name? I don't always want to be Christmas. And then and then supposedly Elon Musk says, go ahead, you could do it now. And then the next post, he had changed his name from Christmas to Elon Musk. <laughs> so... <sighs> It's interesting. <laughs> we'll see. Yes. I'm not interested. I'm not like leaving in protest or anything yet because I feel like we need actual people there. So, you know, and if it winds up really sucking and, and you know, if it really does become there's no limits on speech, like it will go to the lowest common denominator very quickly, which means I won't want to be there. But we'll, well see. it's kind of done that already. I mean, it's it. I haven't. I haven't encountered it being like intolerable, you know, I've okay. certainly read accounts that the use of the N word increased by like 600% when oh, man. people bought it, things like that, because they're like, oh, we can say anything now. So we've been waiting to say this, <laughs> you know, aye, aye, aye. so that shit happens. But I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I, I mean, I see some things that are annoying or upsetting, but not horrendous to the point where I can't stay there, you know, so. And it's mostly fine. That's I, what I see is mostly okay. So I guess yeah. it depends on your your hat. We don't have a big enough following to to attract trolls, right? Yeah, no one's trolling That's us. That's really what it is. Yeah, and I guess I'm not following things that get that treatment as much. So yeah, so far it's okay. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Well, we had our midterms last week. I worked the polls. It was exhausting. And on a personal note, my district flipped red, and I'm really angry. And I know, Robin, your district was red to begin with, and it still is. So we're like the only two Republican districts in the state, mm, yours and mine. No. My, no? Well, You're two. Because I got Jersey. switched. Are you this, what district are you now? One now. Because oh, we, we got okay. ungerrymandered in a positive way, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. But my township committee went red so that was oh interesting. but the but no we have norcross as our representative okay so i thought you were in the second district that's why i said yeah that, we so. used to, oh used to be yeah it's, well it's, i think they put us in district seven to try to keep us blue but we weren't enough mm. i know my voting machine had malinowski who was a democratic congressman from district seven now He's lost his seat, but and my voting machine had him ahead two to one, but I think we were the only ones. <laughs> it's wow. like the 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 machine next to us. I asked her, and she goes, "Oh, he squeaked in, but it was really close, so that was not good." Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. How much see. do you talk as as an election worker? How much do people talk about how the race is going? That's interesting. Not at all. Oh, okay. We, you know, we're not, it's, you know, there's no electioneering within 200 or 100 yards of the polling place or 100 feet. That's what I thought. So, yeah, thought yeah so we don't talk about any of that. Okay. But, you know, as I was registering, you know, I was getting people in, you know, you get your voter, you get the voter ID stuff up there on the, on the screen and you can see what party they're with. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, it was a lot of Republicans. And in the afternoon, it was more Democrats, but... Mm -hmm. You know, we're a pretty blue city. And right. I think that's why they moved us into District 7, thinking we were going to help balance out all of the really rich 
cities and towns in the county, hmm. which which traditionally vote Republican, which right. they did again. So now we've got, you know, Kane Jr. as our congressman. Oh, I'm not happy you, about yeah. that. Yeah, I wasn't that sure was where that, that was. District. That's you guys. <laughs> yes, that's okay. us. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, on the national level, uh, the Democrats won eight of the nine seats rated competitive by the Cook Political Report, and they're pretty much calling the Senate for the Democrats. The only remaining race that needs still needs to be decided is in Georgia, because they they need to have a runoff. They've uh, yeah. the the margins were too close, so that kicks off a runoff election for them. So they won't know um, until December sixth. Right. And from my understanding, the Democrats will hold the control of Senate even without yeah. this race. So it's that's pretty yeah, impressive. But and, who, you know, who okay. wants that guy? Who wants that guy, the Republican running for Senate in Georgia in the Senate? Oh, no, we don't. I don't. No, we don't. <laughs> we do not. But um, we do not. So, yeah. So it's still an important race, but it is, uh, you know, surprisingly well done for this election i'm really I'm, yes i was very like cautiously i wasn't even optimistic i was almost like blank i'm like you know what i don't know what's gonna happen i'm gonna do my part and hopefully we'll like survive this and it's came out you know yeah well pretty well i mean we still have mansion and cinema yeah so you know Saying the Democrats are controlling the House is kind of like, well, yeah, but if we get this, we get this other guy in Georgia, then then Cinema and Mansion will not have as much power to influence what the Democrats are able to do. Right. No, that's true. Uh, I, I think for me, overall, it signifies that we're we're st our, our democracy is still viable somehow like we're not just going off the rails which is what i was worried about because we i mm. kind of felt like we've got like one or two elections to like really turn things around in some ways you know and i think it's uh, yes. i feel like we're a little more resilient than maybe i thought before yeah so. well in the house of representatives republicans need to get five seats to win control of the house and out of the 64 races rated competitive by the Cook Political Report, only a handful remain undecided. And the Washington Post has not called that, you know, which, how way, how the House is going to go. It can still go either way. It's still up in the air. And I had read, I guess, an editorial that was saying that we shouldn't, they, they, they're even talking about, like, this person wanted to get rid of the election results overnight, you know, they, right after the polls close on, on election night, because... Nowadays, with all of the mail-in voting that we're doing, it takes, we don't know that on election day who wins anymore, mm -hmm. you know? So we're, you know, the those thing people, that people who do oppose it, they try to say that, well, that means there's fraud or something, which there is not. It's just longer, it takes longer to count. That's yes. All. Yes. It does take longer to count. Also in the midterms, abortion rights scored a lot of victories. It, it wasn't a clean sweep, but it helped, I think, keep Whitmer in the governor's seat in Michigan. And uh, I think Kentucky 
it was a, a like a surprise that the measure to they were there was a proposal in the Kentucky election to put something in the state constitution to keep abortion rights from getting I don't even know what the word is to prov- it was like a, it was going to keep abortion out of the state it would ha- it wasn't like a constitutional amendment or anything but it was some thing that was going to make it harder for them to to make abortion legal and that was defeated by a wide margin in Kentucky and they weren't necessarily expecting that yeah, that's and, good. I, I was talking with someone from Kentucky the, uh, the night of the election, and they were not happy about the governor's race, of course, you know, and they were really bummed right. out about that. But this sounds like a some kind of a silver lining, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And so by the time you hear this, uh, Donald J. Trump may or may not have announced that he's running for president again. Uh, <laughs> he he was um, very gung-ho about making an announcement on the Tuesday, the 15th. And now oh. the re- election results, he, was, like, he went ballistic about the results, you know, of course, because so many of the people that he had endorsed didn't win. So I, I know he has some advisors telling him it's probably better to wait. And there are some that are saying full steam ahead, but he doesn't listen to anyone anyway. So... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he'll do because I feel like I he, think he will. You think I, I think he ultimately will because he can't he can't admit defeat. And he also well, does he also wants to avoid legal stuff. I think he would do it just to be able to raise money. That too. <laughs> that too. That I mean yeah. it's like that's the grift. Yeah. Is, you know that's why I think he would do it. I, I mean uh the other anything else aside, he would do it because it's a way for people to give him money that he can use for whatever and not pay tax on. Right. Yeah, and I wonder him. if he wa- if he will really go through with it because I mean, with the actual election because he, I don't think he could stand the narcissistic wound of losing again. Uh, Even if he'll claim he won, <laughs> which he would, you know. Well. What I mean, there there's people who are now thinking about if he doesn't get the Republican nomination, like if DeSantis gets the nomination, which is right. also my stomach is turning just saying those words, right. uh, <laughs> that he would run as a third party candidate. Just so he which, just so he could fuck him over, basically. Well, not or just still so make he could money. fuck him over because, but because his ego won't let him not run, right? And that would right. be great for the Democrats because that's going to split the Republican vote. That's true. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like whatever happens, I don't think we should underestimate him because I feel like that's what. We did, you know, in 2016. It's like, oh, that can't possibly happen, you know? (laughs) And well, here we are. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do not know how many of the election deniers who were running, uh, for low level offices in various states. I, I I don't know specifically how well they all did. I think they did better than we wanted them to. And that's something we're going to really need to keep an eye on because they're the ones that can throw out a bunch of votes. They can, you know, 
game the system mm-hmm. at at a low level, you know, at, at the like the county supervisory kind of level or the, the secretary of state, those kind of positions. Right. Um, and I have to say, I haven't heard a lot of battles wrenches. like that. Have you? about this I haven't far not not really I I heard a lot about it before election day but not so much after right everybody's looking at Congress right now and they're not really talking about all of the other shenanigans going on Hmm. so and I don't know like what we can do about it at this point either you know just hope that let's hope that they like learn about their job and learn like why they need to do their job properly. Exactly. You know, country above party. Right. And, and, and just hopefully people will more and more recognize how important the smaller elections are. Yeah. Stay involved. I've been trying to do better about learning more about the down ballot races too. So yeah. Important stuff. And the last news item I have is that Wendy will be at PhilCon, the Philadelphia Science Fiction Convention, this weekend. And that is yes. Friday through Sunday at uh, the what did we, 18th through the 20th of November. Yes. At yes. Doubletree by Hilton, which is a new name for this ho- same old hotel it's been at <laughs> in, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And yes. She will have artwork by herself and by her cat, I believe. Yes. Yes. Groot. <laughs> Groot made a painting. You can see the paint. You could buy the painting. You can see and buy the painting and a picture of Groot, the artist, uh, <laughs> along with some stuff that I actually managed to finish. Nice. I might and, want a print uh, of Groot's painting. I'm not sure <laughs> if, you, if you're making them available. Um, oh, I'm not making prints. You have to get the actual painting. All right. All right. But it's framed. <laughs> it's framed. It's nice. looks nice. And I think that's all the news we can handle today. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Feminism. Are you tired of conforming to gender norms that don't really fit who you are? Have you been frustrated in meetings by having others repeat what you just said and have the room react as if it's the first time they'd heard it? Are your loan rates higher and your salary lower than the guy sitting next to you in the office? Are you unable to express your emotions without being ridiculed? Maybe it's time to ask your doctor about feminism. Side effects might include empowerment, equal pay, respect, being seen, and being heard. Ask your doctor or therapist if feminism is right for you. Or you can just decide for yourself. And now, back to our podcast. Welcome to Earthscape. This is our new segment where we talk about things that are about Earth energy. And that sounds really (laughs) woo-woo. What it means, basically, (laughs) is in our spiritual tradition, Earth is about the body. It's about money. It's about groundedness. It's sort of like the physical aspects of life in an expanded sort of metaphor. So we're going to talk about all of those kinds of things. So career, money, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Yes. Yes. It's it's sort of what we were doing before, but slightly differently focused. Yes, exactly. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about money magic. This is kind of, and it sounds really silly and it, 
is very silly in some ways, and I think perhaps not as silly as it sounds. So I, woo and not woo at the same time? Yes, potentially. Well, clearly woo, potentially helpful, I think is my okay. assessment. So we went to a uh, festival this summer, and one of our friends of ours was doing this workshop, and it was like, I forget what the actual topic, the actual name of it was, but it was about manifesting and, you know, creating wealth. But it's sort of like about what you do in your mind to create wealth as opposed to, you know, taking a money management course or the kind of practical things that one would <laughs> normally do. And it's, it's interesting. I, I take it, I take it as interesting in the sense that I don't think it does a lot of harm, potentially. Let me, let me, let me give a big caveat to that. So an example of this work would be believing, like putting your mind in the mindset that the universe wants to give you, wants you to have abundance and you're supposed to just sort of create that expectation in your mind or that willingness to accept the gifts of the universe or something like that. And so. I think, th th is that true? You know, I mean, actually, one of the actual phrases that she used was, the universe is like a, it's like a puppy, and it just wants to, whatever you put out there, it wants to bring you, it wants to make you happy, you know? So do I think <laughs> the universe is like a puppy? Like, no. <laughs> but <laughs> does it, I guess my thing is that, does it, does it do any harm to, allow yourself to accept positive things as they come or to put yourself into a mindset that good things can come your way. I do, I'm not sure that it's a bad thing. I want to hear your thoughts. I could, I could think of a way that it's a bad thing. I can think and, of them too, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is if if abundance comes into you because of your mindset, then if abundance isn't coming in to you, I can see situations where you're going to blame yourself for external circumstances that have nothing to do with you. You know, like if your house gets destroyed by a hurricane or a tornado. That has nothing to do with, you know, you're, you can think all kinds of positive ways, but if this storm is coming, you have nothing, you have no control over that. Right. That, For, that's an example. That's, and, and, that's, I could, yeah. and I could see somebody getting, having a lot of negative emotions afterwards if, if it's not working out the way they think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's somehow something inside of them that's keeping, that's keeping abundance from shower, raining down on them. Right. I mean, you said, I don't know why we use so many weather metaphors today. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, I, so that, that is the one point that I, I agree with. And so I guess the way I was thinking about, it, I was listening to this 
sort of workshop thing. And I wish I had the page in front of me that sort of gives you all these steps and explanation and all that stuff. But and we we were going to talk about this so long ago that I like lost the thing that <laughs> I was going to refer to. Oh no! <laughs> but but I was sort of putting those caveats in my mind about okay, that makes that could be useful. This could be harmful. This could be you know, and and so I had a sort of reinterpretation in my mind as it was going. But I agree with your point there. And the other big thing is that it can be an extremely difficult spiritual bypass about all of the cultural issues that we have in our whole, you know, world, basically. You know, that... you mean late stage capitalism. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and racism <laughs> and all the other isms, you know. Yes. Because, for example, I was thinking specifically, you know, if you, if the the person who led this class start wanted to start a business and they started this business and would go into people's homes and do stuff, whatever, a a black man wanting to do that same thing, for example, could run into all kinds of challenges. It's not like you can sort of move in the world in the same with the same ease. Mm you know so or any you know there's all kinds of assumptions about you know people of all colors unfortunately and so you know so it's not so you're right that just thinking positively doesn't lead to the same result for everyone equally for sure you know so there's a lot of that but then i turned it around and i thought well people who are like ex very successful um, from what I understand, there's always an element of a little bit of magical thinking, because like if you if you want to land a quadruple axle, you have to first think that that would even be possible for your body to do, and it makes and it's a little crazy to think that you're going to do something like that, you know. And so, I like a bit of that like i like i like the to think about giving yourself permission to achieve and financial stuff i mean that's that's one thing you know and just like unbridled extreme wealth i mean that's obviously crazy but being being successful enough and having what you need and all of those things like I think if I put something in my mind that allows me to believe that that's possible, that, you know, general mm -hmm. abundance is possible, I think that's good. I think that's a good thing. But also being conscious of other world factors. Like, I don't want to get caught into, like, a magical thinking trap where everything is my fault or that I even, you know, created everything before I was born or some thing like that that's going to make your whole life not off the hook of you know reality uh -huh. <laughs> like that doesn't yeah for me but you know but thinking about finding the chutzpah to start a business and be serious about it and get somewhere like a lot of people never start because right they don't believe anything's possible for them or they just follow a path you know and just do the basic things and so mm -hmm. one of the things that I've been trying to do in my life is get myself out of those ruts 
that one can find themselves in and if and sometimes that is about finding a way to make a leap and i think that that's what that kind of working can do for someone if that makes sense okay yeah for me there is there is certainly validity in having what your goal you want to if you having you know you want to have a goal that is something you believe is feasible even if it doesn't look like it's practical or like it's going to happen tomorrow you have to you have you know it's like your triple your quadruple axle you have to believe that you can do this before you try it cuz if you're going to tumble if you're going to go do tumbling and say oh i can't do a cartwheel you're not going to do a cartwheel Right. You know, you have to say, yeah, I could do a cartwheel and, and you may fail miserably. Like I, I am one of these people who has never successfully done a cartwheel. And <laughs> I think I've done a few cartwheels badly. <laughs> yeah, I never could get my legs up high enough. That was my issue. And now, now it's, I'm not even going to try because anytime I do anything inverted, I get vertigo. So cool. it's like, that's off the table now but you have to have at least an idea of something you want to do and that it's it's something that in your head that it's something you can do mm -hmm. you know and i guess so my thought is can you get yourself to think a couple of steps out from what you might at first think you can do I think you kind of have to. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, I think. I mean, especially if it's if it's business, you know, you think, okay, I want to support myself doing X, mm -hmm. and then you have to go, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, or or if I I want to, I don't I don't think of I want to write a best selling novel. I want to write a novel, mm -hmm. and if it sells great, if it doesn't. I'm okay with that. I guess that's not an abundance mindset. That's I, I what I know. mean. I think I think it's okay to think like I want to fucking write a best-selling novel. Okay. Because the person who does it has to at some point. I mean, some people could just happen into fault writing the best-selling novel. I get, I suppose, but having the chutzpah to think that I think is part of the magic of getting there. Okay. You know, but do you go around telling people? I don't know that I would tell people that was my goal. No. Okay. It's not particularly a goal of mine right now, personally. No, I'm just saying. No, it, no, wait. I don't. I think. Uh, no, no, I think it would be a problem to go around telling people that. Like. Okay. I know some people who sort of wear all of their goals like very visibly, and I find it annoying at best. <laughs> I don't know if it's maybe they're succeeding. I don't know. One guy seems to be maybe, but it's like, uh, shut up already. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I think your personal goals, I mean, those could be worn a little closer to the vest that could be helpful to you, you know? So mm. that's the thing. I mean, it's like, look at the, what is the scarier goal and find a way to trip your mind into knowing it's possible 
Okay. I think that's the, the magic I'm interested in. And yeah, I think that's it. You know, and and knowing that, yeah, the the, the secret and those things, they, they are, if you believe them fully, literally, it's a problem for what the reasons you said, I think. But at the same time, how do you do it? Like any sort of magical system is working, at least in my mind, less in reality than in routine. Like you get used to doing certain patterns that help your mind get to places that help you resolve or prepare yourself to do something or receive something, you know? Okay. Is that how that works for you? Do you think? Well, it, that's not how, no, I, I don't subscribe to the manifesting stuff, but I also hear some other woo. For example, I have a grand trine in the earth signs in my natal horoscope, which, you know, depending on the phase of the moon, whether I believe in astrology or not, mm -hmm. which I find that phrase, I think is hilarious. <laughs> Just, <laughs> And what somebody told me what the grand trine in the earth signs means, which means I basically have three planets in the three earth signs, which is, what is it, Capricorn, Taurus, and Virgo? Yes, mm -hmm. I think. Yes, um, earth sign, yes. That, yeah, that means I will always have enough money, is what that means. And then somebody... <laughs> did you know a palmistry thing and i had you could see air between like my fingers if you put your fingers together and that means money's going to be falling through my fingers all the time hmm. okay <laughs> so they're they're not exactly compatible but they're not exactly you know that just means i'll have enough money and i'm going to be bleeding money anyway which kind of has been the story of my life Mm -hmm. And I haven't really had to think about it. And it's just, you know, it, things have occurred where I've never, I mean, I have been, I've been broke, but I've never been poor. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time for me to understand the difference between those two states. Right. Because I've never been poor. But, you know, when you're broke, you think you're poor, but you're not. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Broke is a, te broke is a temporary condition and poor is more of a systemic thing. Right. Yeah. You can be you broke and have resources or friends or ways to get yeah. by. Or or you're it's basically you're just temporarily out of money. Whereas and it's a different mindset. Mm -hmm. You know? Or you know, I from my readings, you know, I have never had to be in the grocery store and do math saying, okay, if I get this this food, I can't buy that food because I won't have enough money for that and, and stuff like that. That's not, you know, that's yeah. never, I've never had to deal with that really. Right. And I feel very, I feel for those people that have to live that way. And, and it's, a, you know, it's different, you know, they'll, it's, it's, it's a different mindset. Right. I, I would certainly say that the whole manifestation thing is that is it's a practice that is about you have i think you have to be fairly comfortable to think about that because if you're in real poverty 
it's not it's not a, even a way that you can function or should function so it's really it is a exercise in privilege to begin with honestly, yeah you know but i want to know yeah. though if I've, I've i've been in circles with you and stuff where you're doing we're doing workings around healing or something where you're putting intention somewhere so right does that how does that work or, or are you just saying you don't subscribe to doing it around physical abundance but you do around other things because it's sort of the same. I mean, I'll do a I'll do a working around physical abundance. I've done that, it, which is not. I don't think it's the same. I don't know. I I guess I never read the secret. I kind of heard the gist of it, and it sounded like you know, oh, this is a bunch of crap. You know, this is just like wishful thinking kind of thing. I remember doing a working at at somebody's house. This was. This was just like a, a celebration. It was probably in bulk, an in bulk holiday celebration. And we had the opportunity to throw some of our personal intentions into the mix. And I needed a job. And I guess that's a money manifestation. Although it's, you know, and I got, I got a job offer within 48 hours mm-hmm. of that working, which I found I, I consider that to be successful. <laughs> I consider that to be a very successful working because the, the thing was the next day, there was a job fair the next day that I went to and and I handed a resume to somebody and they, and then I was like talking to some other people and the person in that booth like ran to me saying, can you be at this job interview in two hours? Hmm. And I went to the job interview and I got the job. And I was there for five, six years, you know, it was a, it was a good job. <laughs> so, right. So, so what I mean then is that there's a, there's a, there had to be some kind of minor leap of faith or whatever. Yeah. That says, okay, I'm going to put my thought into this for a split second, regardless of whether or not it's literally helpful or literally true that this works. Okay. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. I think there's a tiny spark that can help you get to some pl- places that you want to go by allowing that, you know? Okay. I mean, who's to say that had I not gone to that ritual and I still went to the job fair, that would have all happened the same way. Sure. Absolutely. You know? I mean, I I agree. Yeah, I think I think you're right. But I think wh- I just but doing the ritual probably put me in this mindset where I'm open to job and <laughs> to job opportunities, and then one kind of came at me. Yeah, and you believe that you can achieve it, or that you're worth it, or that yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. those things help. I do, you know. Okay. And and at the same time, I think it does those sorts of systems that tell you to rely on that exclusively deserve all the critique they get you know yes well yeah it's like it's like when when we do magic other magic besides money magic you know it was always a job interview kind of one of my my explanations of this anyway so i guess it is money magic it's like you can't just light a green candle and expect the phone to ring with like you know a six-figure job opportunity Right. If all you're doing is lighting a green candle, you have to light the green candle, but you also have to update your resume. You have to send it out. You have to tell people like, oh, I'm looking for a job. 
right. you have to do all the other the mundane work that you were going to do anyway. You can't avoid the actual work. And I, I agree. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in the in the manifestation space thinks that oh I don't have to do the actual work I could just do this the magic part and not the mundane part and it's going to happen anyway. Mhm. Mm yeah, I think you're right actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. It's like I think you're right. The combination of things is what will do anything, but I I've learned that selling myself short or believing the limitations that other people give me or tell me I have doesn't mm. help my life. Oh, hell no. So finding little mental tricks, if that's one of the many things that I do, I think that that helps. Okay. So that's what I mean by all this. <laughs> so, But anyway, this has been a pretty cool first Earth yeah. It'll be interesting to see where, where we take this uh, segment. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Well, I'm here with Susan Sunny. Susan is a lifelong resident of Ohio. And thanks to her job as a program manager for an international company, she is fortunate to travel throughout the U.S. and Europe, and she's gotten perspectives of the U.S. political landscape from around the world. Advocating for animals was her first foray into politics, and she got engaged with electoral politics starting with the 2016 presidential election. She was a volunteer for the Elizabeth Warren campaign in 2020. So welcome thank to the you. Landscape. Thank you for inviting me. It was uh, exciting. And it was awesome meeting you at Devotional, um, where we could meet other people who uh, like-minded, progressive, I guess, uh, the island of misfits that we are, and, and really enjoyed <laughs> uh, making those connections. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's always good to meet Devo fans anywhere. And we wind up having a lot more in common, too, Excellent. which is fun. <laughs> so first, I, I just wanted to ask you, I can imagine that the Senate race in Ohio did not really go the way you would hoped. It did not. Um, and so how, yeah. So how are you feeling post-election? It's been a few days after the election with J.D. Vance having one. I have a, a mixture of emotions, you know, definitely disappointed. Election night and the day after more angry, but I've been reflecting on that and anger doesn't do any good. And I think that's part of the problem. The reason why we're here is we have two sides. We're both angry at each other and we're not listening to each other. And I think, you know, if we were able to have discussions, I think we have more in common than we don't. It's just the defensive mechanisms that go up and we're not having good discussions. Since 2016, we talked about your podcast started around then. I was more active in politics starting then. One of the quotes that comes to mind very often is from James Baldwin is, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. That's what kept going through my mm -hmm. mind. But then again, when I'm having this anger response. We're not having good dialogues. In 2016, when I became more interested in politics, reading more about politics, I would share on social media these, these stories that I thought, 
oh, if they read this, they couldn't possibly vote for 45. And what I got was unfriended. I got blocked or I got defensive responses back. It just wasn't the the right method for a lot of people. And I was reflecting back after Tuesday's election. It's like, okay, what we're doing isn't working and how can we approach it better? I'm proud of Michigan now. They went blue and Fetterman, that was exciting. Um, so I think overall yes. it was it was healing in some races and then in Ohio, a little bit disappointing. If we look at the rural counties in Ohio, that's where we have a very heavy base of Trump supporters. And I think we don't do a good job of understanding why and how do we better approach these people to understand what their concerns are and how we can address them instead of this, you know, our side versus their side. Right. That Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that people say about Ohio in particular is that, well, it's called a swing state, and I don't know if it's going more red or if it's sort of still very purple state. I know that in the 2008 election, I was in Ohio. I actually went to see Devo when they played in support of Obama, and it was it was really like a different sign on every other yeah. house. It was very... I'm not used to seeing that, you know, because it seems to be more regionalized. And and I'm sure it is there too, but it was noticeably more complicated or just, you know, different people with different different opinions in in the same place. So what makes it a swing state, which it really did seem different to me. And they call it a bellwether, which means like, however Ohio goes, that's where the presidency goes. I don't know how often that is, but that seems to be... Luckily, it um, was... Off, yeah, luckily, more often than that. Um, it's the last <laughs> presidential election. That wasn't true because we've been read. That's right. And I think just my perception is after we've had the pleasure, and what a pleasure it was to have Obama as president uh, for eight years, I think it enraged people who didn't vote to vote red. I think there were people who did not mm. like. Obama because they bought into the rhetoric or whatever reason it, it is. And I think that mm-hmm. got people out voting in, especially in rural, rural areas where before um, there wasn't as high of a turnout. I, I would need to go back and look at those numbers to be hundred percent accurate, you know, but as far as that was the feel that I got, there was more people going, there was, uh, people were louder. And I think just mm. generally after the 2016 election, a lot of people got louder <laughs> and, and it was more energized on both sides. And one of the things that I thought was interesting on prime video, there's of documentary the brainwashing of my dad and that was that was back, oh yes yeah that was seen it, like 2015 2016 that that was made and I, and I've rewatched it recently and it's it feels like it's even more true a lot of the things that are going on as far as right wing media and their use of these these tactics 
that can sway people and not use facts, but it doesn't matter if it's facts or not. But I think, you know, that that goes for quote unquote liberal media, media as well. But I think we're all susceptible to the same things, right? We, if you're, you lie and skew and you create confusion and doubt and blame and divide, those are all tactics and labeling. Uh, so in Ohio, Tim Ryan was the Democrat for Senate and he, he lost to that other person that is unfortunate, <laughs> J.D. Vance. And if you turned on TV, you heard taxing Tim. And while that sounds simplistic and everything, um, we I did research on, I'm in marketing, and there's research on what works with people and how our brains work, how we take in information and we make decisions. There's a talk, there's a book called Thinking uh, Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, Kahneman. And he's a psychologist who's done research on how we, uh, on judgment and, and decision making. And something that we're very susceptible to is uh, simple phrases and rhyming. So they're just going in and and I was introduced to that book through my work where we actually had a company from Amsterdam that was on behavioral sciences talk to us. And they work with marketers from businesses and with political campaigns. So it's absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, using our behavior against against us and to sway our opinion. And so it's not based on facts or what's really best for our own, you know, how do we vote against our own interests because we don't even know we're doing it? Right, right. Huh. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, how do you how do you work against that? Because in one sense, you think, well, we have to fight fire with fire, and then we need to have better slogans and better, you know, marketing tactics or something like that. But do you think there's a way to get out of that cycle? in a way that wins also. Well, that's, the, that's the struggle is I get the sense that the other side's more willing to be aggressive with lies and misinformation and skewing information. So how do you win against someone who's willing to do that? And I'm sure on the other side, they feel that we cheat. So how do we, I, it's, a, it's a great question. I Obviously, it's a difficult one, or it would have been solved by now. I mean, we we have this intuition instinct that's our fast reflex, and that's that thinking fast and slow. 98% of our decisions are made using this reflex, and it's very belief-oriented. And then when we look at the 2% is rational thinking. So how do we get to that level? beliefs you know how do we how do we deal with beliefs and it's it's a challenge i think maybe we do need to do more research in behavior science and how can we leverage those techniques or techniques in behavior science without getting down you know in the sewer so to speak and doing it without caring about truth and caring about people because I think in the end, 
I really do believe if we were to strip all this stuff and were to talk to people, we want the same things. It's just we have a different perception of how we get there. Mm-hmm. That is that is really a, a, a good insight. Do you think Ohio is... I wouldn't imagine it, that idea is unique. I mean, I think most people everywhere want the same kinds of basic things in their lives, you know? Do you think there's something in particular with the culture that you of your state or near or in an area that makes it sort of a uh, I don't know yeah. it's a melting pot of of a lot of ideas and it becomes so important in our elections and that's the one interesting thing about democracy it's like it a lot our elections just the way the setup is currently it comes down to like five you know yeah. Few states. yeah and um, I think we do have I, I think a melting pot is a great term for it and I, I think in our urban areas you know, tend to be more liberal, just like other states. But I think there's some bleed over right now happening. And I am concerned about voter turnout as well. I think if we had better voter turnout, um, I know people personally, even within my family, which is frustrating, who won't vote because they feel that it doesn't matter what their vote is. You know, if I would have voted, it wouldn't have changed the thing, you know, but I try to explain if everyone who felt that way voted, it would make a huge difference. But getting past that, and then you hear, well, all politicians are the same. And that's, that's another discussion. How do I get into that discussion and make a difference and listen to them and understand where they're coming from? but be able to present something to, to sway them that's meaningful and factual. Absolutely. Ohio is interesting. I, no, I was, Ohio is interesting because <laughs> it, it really is. So I, I go to a rural spot to help out at a sanctuary, animal sanctuary. And I was at a Walmart down in this rural city and someone came up to me because I had bumper stickers that it was persist from Warren and, you know, a vote. And I have Ruth Bader Ginsburg in my window. And this person came up to me, oh, I like your car and I, I love your bumper stickers. And she was thirsty for someone who was liberal because she's surrounded by conservative totally a Trump country. And you could see she was desperate for that connection and just wanted a hug you know, because she was afraid. Oh, wow. She's afraid to put bumper stickers on her car. She's afraid. There's like this fear thing. And I think, I think there's fear from both sides. My parents were, had someone come in to fix their phone line and I had a discussion with him and he was a Trump supporter and we had this discussion and he clearly believed that the vaccine killed his mom and that, you know, there were other things that he truly believed it and he was fearful of the left. Like, so what we think from what my thoughts and my fears are, they feel the same. 
on the opposite side. So how do we break down those walls? And I don't have an answer. I'm trying to, that's where I'm trying to listen to books and understand how people react to each other. I've been listening to a book, having crucial conversations. And I think the more we can look inward and what what can I do to improve my listening skills, my my dialogue skills, maybe we have a chance to to make little pockets of impact. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very worthy effort because that's, as you mentioned, it's not what's going on. It's not what's going on on Twitter, that's for sure. (laughs) And a lot of places where it's really just about sort of scoring a point more than hearing each other. And it's tough because there are certain, there are certain opinions that's so that feels so offensive to me as a yes. human it's really yeah, hard and you know and but i want to be the person that can that can listen more and listen past that and kind of get to the what where what is the fear that's behind it you know that sort of and thing and i've had that anger response and i've had that anger response on social media and it's not effective i mean it may feel good in the moment and right. you just try and put someone in their place so to speak but in the end it didn't help get to the goal because i think and then we have to be clear on what our goals are so at the at the high level i would say my goal is to have people vote democrat but then there's a deeper part of that why why do i want people to vote democrat because i believe right that it's it's better for our economy i think it's better for people who are at risk and and populations that are at risk it's better for health care and the environment all, all these things that i care about i believe it's better for but how do we how do we then translate that into a discussion and find a common ground with someone instead of hey i just want you right. to vote for my candidate well why you know well, I believe they can help you. What are like what are your concerns? Okay. Well, this is how I think we can help you instead of just vote for my guy, vote for my lady. That's a good point. Thank you for that insight for sure. <laughs> you know, what is it that really matters to everyone we talk to about this stuff? So, good point for sure. What are some of the things you've learned? either about Ohio politics or U.S. politics overall from your travels? You, I know you've been traveling abroad and talked to people in places that are I'm not sure. here. So it's maybe less myopic other well, places. I, I yeah. keep in touch with people. For example, I had a, um, a student from Germany and he emails me on a regular basis. And, uh, he emailed me on Monday I know the midterm elections are coming. The world pays attention to our elections. And the people who I interact with, a majority of them, at least that that speak to me about our politics, they're liberal, what we would consider liberal. And they don't understand how the 2016 election happened. And it's fearful for them because we are part of a global economy. We are part of this global piece. And I think that's 
an interesting part of being part of a, a global company is how our politics bleeds over to the world and vice versa. And we have to give that the credit. The, it's not just here that the inflation is happening. It's happening globally. In fact, it seems to be less impactful here than some other countries. Other countries are dealing with layoffs and and these the gas prices and everything. It's not just the United States. And definitely there was fear from the other countries. Yeah, I I feel fearful for them. I want to make sure we get the next presidential election right for us and the world because I know that the wrong person in there again could uh, could do a lot more damage, and that's that's not what I would like. For oh, the right. world, and when for we sure. think about Europe, for example, we look at our history. The last time that we had a war on our land, civil war, we didn't have a war on our in our country since then. Where Europe, it's it's right next to them. Like, my friend from Germany, think of how close they are to the Russia-Ukraine, that battle. It's very scary for them because they're within striking distance. And we just have never had to deal with that or even think about that. So I think that also escalates their fear on what's going on in the United States because, again, it can put them in immediate danger. Oh, another thing on healthcare, someone from the Netherlands, he assumed, and this was when going back where the Affordable Care Act, uh, when that came out, he was shocked that we didn't have insurance for everyone. As an advanced culture, like how do we not take care of our citizens? And I think it's shocking to them when they realize that we don't have uh, health care so that people don't go bankrupt. It's shocking to them that people can go in debt to get a secondary education, that, that we don't protect our workforce. And, uh, for example, my company is going through layoffs. The U.S., they can lay off immediate. For some of the other countries, they can't because they have workmen's councils in place to protect their their workforce. Mm-hmm. So, what do we? Where do we do? Where do we go from here? Do you think? I know your communication is important, and it's also like a slow road to getting somewhere in a lot of ways. Yeah. So what do you think what do, what do you think is next for I guess for you as a as an activist do you have a sense of what you might be working on next and what what do you hope is next for well, us in the Yeah, large I'm interested sense. in trying to to brainstorm ways of how do we get the discussions happening because there was a, there was a study about you know people go door to door to talk to people to get them to vote and to see the canvassing but there was a study from some people from UC Berkeley that if you go in there with a script and you just talk from the script, it's not 
truly effective. If you go in there and actually have a conversation, goes back to that conversation where you're talking to them, understanding their needs or their concerns, that's where you hit that effectiveness. It takes more time and you clearly need to be more comfortable with the content and have have resources available so that you can have the discussion and, and bring up factual uh, supporting facts and, and things like that. But how do you get the time? How do you make it so that it can be um, replicated? I don't ha have an easy answer, and I don't think there is an easy answer, again, because I think we would do it. But it's something that I'm thinking about. You know, maybe there's, you know, we have these town halls. Is there a way to make them more efficient? Can we do more town halls virtually? What about, uh, you know, when we do town halls virtually, how do we make sure that it's not eliminating people who, uh, certain populations who don't have computers, who don't have uh, the resources so that we're not uh, discriminating against a certain class of people as well? It's very challenging. Right. It's a lot of moving parts. I, I did some phone banking for this past election for, for Pennsylvania. And that was, I, I think I tried to do a little bit of what you, you're mentioning in that I had the scripts, but I sort of wanted to take in the basic ideas of what we wanted to say and just talk from, talk as a human, not just like read the lines. Because I think that that does people just would be like click, you know, like, well, people, a lot of people hung up on me anyway, but I did get to have a couple of conversations where it was, it felt a little more organic, you, you know, so maybe that's well, a little and start. It, was it easy to get people to talk from your experience with the phone banking? Was it easier when you had someone who actually picked up the phone, was it easy to get them engaged in a conversation or did they want to rush off the phone? There were a couple who, we're wanting to talk and we're excited about the election and, you know, getting things done and that sort of thing. And most hung up and a couple were very angry. And that's what the one thing they were like, you people need to yeah. stop calling me, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's a problem too. Like, you know, but which, so I don't know how we, which is understandable out, because, you know, there's the texting too. And where I think that, yeah somewhat cool and you know better than getting a phone call but it can be very annoying as well when you're getting bombarded with it so how do you make it so it's find that balance and balance is is a hard thing because find that balance you, you know my balance is different than the, the next person's balance so that's right that's just a challenge yeah, I feel like even though all those emails and texts pissed me off, I did donate eventually. <laughs> so it either annoyed me enough or something enough. So it it works, but it's precarious. You know, it's interesting. So I don't know. I'm not sure I know the answer to that either. But I, I I'm curious about what you do to chill. I know that you are uh, you you're a fan of music and you like to take care of animals and so are those things some of the things you do to sort of as a counterbalance to thinking about politics yeah, and, activism? and actually I had it to pull back from a lot of the stories recently just because it gets it was getting um, overwhelming emotionally for me where I was angry a lot and again that's 
counterproductive. And we tend to, we were talking about devotional, how that was healing to be with like-minded people. And I think we tend to gravitate to like-minded people, which I think there's absolutely a need to do that for healing and to feel good. But how do we then do the uncomfortable part of going and having discussions with people on the other side? And that's, that's the struggle that I'm having is how to do that. But as far as enjoy music and concerts, dinner with friends, having great discussions like we're having now. I think the other thing that I enjoy sharing, another passion of mine is, is my veganism and, and sharing that information, which can be as polarizing sometimes as, as politics, which is interesting. And how do you have conversations where you don't set someone off to be defensive about it? Because that's not my goal. And how do you set that expectation when you have those discussions? So it's it's interesting where it's, you know, we have hot topics and and veganism is actually a hot, is one of those hot button topics. Right, right. Oh, well. Well, I'm getting ready for a vegan oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, excellent. So. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> It'll to be hear fun, that. Yeah. And I... And a friend of mine, she's a vegan chef, and we had this party, and holy cow, if she was my personal chef, I'd need to build a bigger doorway in my house, because it was was phenomenal. (laughs) You know, she knows what she's doing in the kitchen. I do not know what I'm doing in the kitchen, so I eat pretty much, I'm a raw foods vegan for most of the time, and, but music, friends, family, and animals. That sounds like a good, good yes. way to be. <laughs> and more recently, tattoos. So, oh, okay. That's that's yeah. that sounds like fun too. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you for talking to us and to me and to us. So we uh, this will be out soon, so people will get to hear this conversation. I appreciate it, and we will. I will be more thoughtful about how to how to reach people, how to really reach people, and that's those are some good thoughts. Well, thank you so very thank much. You. You got questions? We got answers. And today's question is from my friend Kirsten Houseconnect. And she asks us, were there any unusual holiday traditions in your family? I'm not sure what to say about this. Do you have an answer for this one? Not offhand. I don't know if, because that's the thing. It's like, I don't know if, you know, anything my family was doing, I figured was normal. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's it's like I wasn't really exposed to too many other families' holiday traditions to know like, holy shit, we're weird, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. You know, we were I guess unusual in that you know, I was raised Jewish. So that was already non standard. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to think Thanksgiving. I don't know if they were unusual, but I have like home movies of my dad would film us all, you know, during Thanksgiving. And we have like 10 years of very similar 
footage, like my mom bringing out a turkey to the table and then panning across the table for all of the people. And that gets depressing because every once in a while there's somebody who's missing because they've died, uh-huh. you know, that kind of thing. But you also um, see like the kids growing up and stuff too, right? Yes, so that's you see the kids cool. growing up. And, and yeah, one of my uh, one of my projects that I've wanted to do for for 50 years probably is is edit some things so it's just my mom bringing out the turkey and bringing out the turkey and bringing out the turkey and bringing out the turkey you know just one after the other and then pan- the other shots too but make it a little less depressing so you don't really notice that it's people aren't there because they've died because that wouldn't be fun i think the family i married into has some traditions that i thought were a little unusual but that's also because I have never been in other people's houses during Christmas. They they do everything on Christmas Eve. And I think that was partly because my father-in-law's birthday was December 24th. So we would be celebrating his birthday. And then, then there would be the opening of the hugely massive amount of presents that are in the room, which would take like the rest of the, the evening. And when the kids were little... The, the pile of presents was literally bigger than the tree sometimes, and they did not have small trees. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, that was eye-opening for me. And I don't know that every family, every Christian family does that, but like, holy crap, that was that blew me away the first year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Let me think about my family. Well, one thing I wanted to say before I forgot, I think one of the things that was unusual that I heard you mention was I don't think you had pumpkin pie or something. That was a thing that you never ate. Was that right? Right. Not for Thanksgiving, no. My, okay. I don't think my parents ever had it either. Yeah, I thought that was odd. I was like, wow, how do you not have pumpkin pie ever? <laughs> that was like a sort I of I still haven't thing. tasted it. I know. It's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Our Thanksgiving and Christmas meals were remarkably similar they were like actually almost identical and when I think about that was just what was normal to me and then when I would hear other people talk about like oh Christmas you have a ham and then you have we would have eggnog actually at both like so every like it was like all my mom's favorite holiday things we just did twice like once (laughs) in once in November once in December for the for the most part so that I think was probably unusual. I'm trying to think of which ones, you know, think, I mean, we had stuff, celery, celery with like cream cheese my mom would make. And I think that was probably at both. It might've been at one only. I think it was both. Christmas would be more though, because there were like more candies and more all the gifts and all that kind of stuff. So that was like an extra added part of it. But the meal was the same, I think. I... Currently, well, I might break my tradition this year, but my my current Christmas over the at least 10 years or so was just try to do, try to pretend it's not Christmas, basically. <laughs> I don't know. I had a lot of trauma around that holiday. So when I kind of didn't have to do anything, I would, I would do Christmas Eve with Kevin and Doc's family. And those are some cool and somewhat unusual traditions, I guess. But then... My Christmas day would be, I'm getting, I'm, the day before I'm going to get in my favorite Indian food and basically not go out and yeah. just work and just do, just get in my brain and do stuff, like do writing stuff or work stuff or, and kind of let it wash over <laughs> because it's, 
<laughs> it was nice to not to sort of work through the anxiety over the years and not have to mm. have it be so immediate. But this year I might have a vegan thanks uh well I'm, I'm doing vegan Thanksgiving, but vegan Christmas with my friend mm. Amy and friends. So that will be that'll be new. New and new yeah. and familiar both. Cool. But, yeah. So I don't know. I can't think of anything majorly weird about my family <laughs> other than I, I guess the only other th unusual thing is, you know, we would celebrate Hanukkah and occasionally my birthday would fall in the middle of it, mm. which it actually did last year. When I was a kid, I felt cheated because my brother's birthday was in August and they would always combine Hanukkah and my birthday presents together. And so I figured I got cheated out of <laughs> I got cheated out of a, a present opportunity. Right. Because <laughs> usually Hanukkah presents were not as opulent as Christmas presents because you have to spread it out over eight days. I mean, that was like the joke with the Cards Against Humanity when they did that Hanukkah thing and, and you got socks like three times. <laughs> and, yeah, so... I don't know if that's unusual or not. I, I'm sure there's other people, other other Jewish kids whose birthdays have fallen on Hanukkah. So. Well, it's interesting that it wouldn't be all the time. Like some people, if your birthday is on December 24th, it's always Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. And it's always has that well, situation. It's so. Yeah, it's yeah. a different, it's a lunar calendar. I, right, I think right. this year Hanukkah is kind of leading into Christmas this year. It's late. Yeah. So which is fine. I, I don't mind. Oh, I don't celebrate either of those things now, so it doesn't matter. I celebrate Yule on the right. 21st. So, although I'm probably going to end up, you know, my my in-laws do cr a big Christmas thing, and at the funeral, everybody's saying, well, I'm going to see you at Christmas. I said, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, now I, they, my, my, the, my main holidays are the pagan holidays, and then I also do things on the on the holidays that are other people's traditions so you know yeah it's kind of like that anyway well thank you for this question kirsten thank you and if i think of anything else weird i will add it in another show because <laughs> <laughs> we always talk about our weird things eventually well, I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, on Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. Let me know if there's a place you like to hang out on Discord, or if you travel in subgenius circles, and where you can find me as Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. So send us your questions and we might answer it on an upcoming show. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, be well. Manifest abundance or not. <laughs> and keep left. 
You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash leftscape. Thanks for listening.